side, turn with me over to the book of Romans. We're going to continue our series on faith today. And the title of this message is Faith and the Ear. Faith and the Ear. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. At this point in his ministry, he's never been to Rome, so he's writing on the basis of what he has heard from other apostolic input and from reports of people who happen to be members of the congregation, we believe. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Paul says, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. One more time. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Lord, help us as we study. Faith is that which needs to grow in our life. Jesus never represented faith as an inanimate object. He always talked about it as something that was alive. He didn't say you needed to have a bucket full of faith or a thimble full of faith or a pool full of faith. He said you need to have a mustard seed of faith. And a mustard seed has the qualities of which all seeds have, that it becomes something else. It doesn't stay what it is. Small it is. I don't know if you've ever seen a mustard seed. Smaller than a BB, probably half the size of a BB. Almost, almost looks like a, a, a large piece of pepper. But when, when it's planted in the ground, Jesus said, it becomes the largest plant in the garden. Though the seed be small, the end product is to be large. So whatever was planted in your soul with respect to faith when you first got right with God, it ought to be bigger now. If you're still at the same spot of just standing in faith for your own salvation, something's wrong. Now, ain't nothing wrong with the seed, but a lot wrong with the environment. Did it get planted in good soil? Was there some cultivation down in your heart that needed to be done that you didn't do? Did you make the seed compete with the weeds of your life? Rob it of the necessary nutrients that are dependent, that, that are necessary for it to grow? Did you water it when you should have? Did you let the sun come out when it should have come out? I mean, did you, what, what did you do with your seed? If you don't plant it in the right kind of environment, it won't grow right. But there ain't nothing wrong with the seed. The seed's got the good DNA. It knows what it's supposed to do when it's planted in the right place. But it's supposed to grow, and it's supposed to grow to where this tree Jesus spoke of, the biggest tree in the garden, he said. And, and, and he wasn't talking about big with respect to just everybody who's seeing it going, wow. He was saying big with respect to function, that folks could come and sit under its shade, that birds of the air could nest in its branches the people could actually eat from its fruit now that it was mature. That's the way you ought to be. People ought to be, be able to sit under the shade of your faith away from the scorching heat of the world. They ought to be able to nest in your branches because your faith is so large. Find comfort in your branches. They ought to be able to eat from the fruit of your tree because you produce so much on a regular basis. That's the way your faith ought to be. Paul is talking about how faith comes. Now, the reason he is speaking 
to the church at Rome about how faith comes is because the church at Rome is made up of both Jew and Gentile. Gentile is us. Everybody who doesn't look at their heritage naturally is coming from Abraham. The Jews obviously came from Abraham. Well, the church was both. And the Jewish people had a tendency to believe that somehow they were extra special Christians. Because they came from Abraham and God spoke to Abraham. And boy, they could look back and say, David was, was my grandfather's king. And Solomon was my grandfather's king. And Elijah was a prophet from my ancestors. And Isaiah I can claim. And Hosea I can claim. And wow, all these are mine. That's my heritage. On top of that, I got the law. The law was given to my people. And it wasn't given to anybody else, just the Jewish people. And so they had a tendency to be a little high-minded about themselves, arrogant, thinking that they were better Christians than the Gentile Christians, because what did the Gentiles, what, what, what could they brag about? Nothing. Mutts. Everyone are mutts. We're mutts. We're, 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 we're the dogs at the kennel the folk picked up. Ain't nothing but pure pedigree in us with respect to spirituality. We're just a mess, just a mess. But the Jews, they could, you know, and so they looked at themselves. We know how to eat. We know how to live. We understand our heritage. We are these Gentiles. They just messed up folk. They kind of, well, you know, we love them, but they kind of second class Christians. So much so that they wanted to make the Gentiles become observant of their law in order to be right. Righteous. So Paul starts off in Romans 1 and goes all the way to Romans 11, through Romans 11, building a case for how mankind is depraved and needs God, both Jew and Gentile. Whether you came from the seed of Abraham and have the law or whether you're a Gentile and never had anything, we're all messed up. And then he talks about how we get to be made righteous. Was Abraham made righteous as a result of circumcision, meaning doing something right to be right? Or was he called by God and declared righteous before circumcision, that is, not doing anything, and then God called him and made him righteous, and as a result of being righteous, he did something right? The latter was true. Therefore, God made him righteous before he did anything, so what is the law again? And so he makes a case from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 8 and 9, talking about how the law just isn't all that, although the law does have application. It helps us be civil. Without the law, we just, we'd live in anarchy. Everybody would do what was right in his own eyes, and it wouldn't be illegal because it was, there was no law to tell you it was wrong. And so the law helps society be orderly, and we need that. But with, with respect to salvation, the law has no application. Zero. In fact, with respect to salvation and righteousness, all the law is there, therefore, is to tell you how messed up you are. That's it. It is to remind you on a regular basis of how much you need a Savior. Because every time you look at the law with respect to you, you have to say, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Oh, I broke that one. Oof. Really didn't observe that one. Wow. <laughs> Oof. And so every time we see it, we see what we did wrong. We don't see necessarily what we did right. Though we love to amplify those one singular moments, those shining times when, ha, I did something right. See, God, I'm a good person. 
And we want to magnify that and forget about all the other stuff we did wrong in hopes that somehow we would be declared as right before God. Problem is, he doesn't forget about it. He can't. His justice must be satisfied. If you sinned, you got to pay. No way around it. It's not like God thinks, hey, you're really special. I'm going to let you go on that. Just because I like you. Don't worry about it. You're different than the rest of these human beings. He doesn't do that. His justice must be satisfied. The wages of sin is death. And the soul who sins must die. But God loves you. And he didn't want you to die. Cared about you. So in order to to fix the sin problem and the consequence problem, which is death, he said, I'm going to send my son. And this is why it's absolutely critical that we understand something about the primary orthodoxy of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ actually had to live a sinless life. He wasn't just another human being. He wasn't like you and me. Though he was man fully, he was also fully God. And being fully God, he lived in such a way as to be sinless. This is the only way he could be the substitutionary sacrifice for you and me. If he had sinned once, then when he died, he would be dying for his own sin, not yours and mine. So God had to have a perfect lamb, if you will, without blemish, stain, or spot. Jesus became that perfect lamb, lived a perfect life. Therefore, when death came to take him, it took him, but it couldn't hold him. So although he died, he couldn't stay dead because he had done nothing worthy of death. But in dying, it says it in Romans 5, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he became sin on our behalf. That uh, right there on the cross, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this great cosmic substitution took place, whereby he became our punishment, took our punishment, and, and took on all of our sin. He became what we deserved, death and pain. And he took it all on himself. In doing so, he took the power of sin to the grave. The enemy thought he had done away with the best man who God ever made. Yeah, and God leveraged that moment and really did away with the power of the enemy in it. And because Jesus had never done anything worthy of death, he took the power of sin to, to the grave as all sin was placed on him. And then Jesus, because he had done nothing worthy of death, rose from the grave forevermore to, to, to make intercession never to die again. Now, this is what it means to be saved when you, when you apply faith to that effort. Lord, I choose to let Jesus Christ take my penalty. I die with him in that death. No longer am I going to live for myself. What happens is you die with him, you go down in the grave, and then you get to, if you died with him, if we have been crucified with him in the likeness of his death, Romans 6, then certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was done away with, that the body of sin might be crucified, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Ooh, that's a great passage. We no longer have to live under the power of sin. So when Jesus died, this great substitution happened, and, and I'm not quite sure if he got the better end of the deal in this, y'all. I mean, he got us, we got him. Eh. When you think about it, yeah, you had to really love us. Because it's not like we're a great benefit to him. No, you're not. 
You need to say amen at that point. No, you're not. You aren't that great of a benefit to him. Listen to me. Everything good you do, you're so messed up, he has to do it through you. That's how much of a benefit you are not to him. (laughs) There is nothing you can do that helps him. Nothing. You are like your own two-year-old that comes to you and says, Bob, I want to help. You can't help me. I want to help you vacuum. You can't help me. I want to help you clean. You can't help me. But you let them help and make them feel like they're doing something. And so when they get behind the vacuum, what do you do? Push it for them if they got their hand on it. That's you with God. That's you with God. You can't help him. We're so messed up that, that there is no way we could ever be declared righteous on our own. We have proven that we have broken and defiled the law time and again. And so God says, I'm going to fix all that, and, and that's how he did it, by sending his son. Now, the way we get to be made righteous is that we believe that. Now, everything I've just said is the preface to my sermon. I ain't even started preaching yet. This is, where, this is where he gets to Romans ten seventeen. He says, Jews, you've got to have faith just like the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have all the heritage and the law. They just have faith. But you have too much faith in your heritage and your law. And now you're trying to get them into bondage to that because you believe that's the way to get to God. And God is unimpressed either with your heritage. because He chose Abraham not because Abraham was good. He chose Abraham simply because he loved him. That's it. He just chose him. It wasn't anything Abram did. He just chose him. And secondly, you've proven that you've broken the law. So why do you want to bring somebody into bondage to something that they can't do either? What's wrong with you? And so the only way we can get right is by faith. And how does the faith come? By hearing. By hearing. It's all by faith. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ actually did that for you. He actually died for you. And that his death is, is, is your benefit that you don't have to die anymore, that you can actually live eternally. And do you know why, do you know why we get eternal life from God, not just life? Because it's the only life he has to give. It's his life, and his life is eternal. Now, that eternal life allows us to become immortal. We can't be eternal. The definition of eternity is having no beginning and no end. No, you can't figure it out. You, you can't. It, it doesn't, it, it, it's bigger than your brain. God is eternal. He's infinite. No beginning, no end. No time of, of start, no end time. And he's infinite in his being, in that he's expansive beyond borders. Yeah, it's beyond our brain to figure out. But we do know this. We know we are not that. We are immortal at best, in that we have a... A definite start date. And eternal life gives us the privilege of not having an expiration date. Isn't that great? And so we get his eternal life. Jesus said, who believes in me will have eternal life. We get that life. And we get to live forever for him and with him. So life doesn't, doesn't stop when we die. It just keeps on going. We get to shed this mortal flesh and we get to live forever for him. Oh, it's just beautiful. Just beautiful. But this is how we come to it. It's by faith. It's only by faith. 
And if you can't get to it by faith, you can't get to it. You can't work your way into it. You can't become better. Jesus Christ makes... Uh, say, uh, let, let me qualify something. You can't become better enough to get made righteous. Jesus Christ makes you righteous. It's the only way you can be that way. Only way. Otherwise, you have to depend upon your own righteousness, which is proven to be unrighteous. Because you blew it. You broke the law. And some of you are saying, well, you know, I ain't done anything that bad, Pastor. I mean, I ain't Hitler or nothing. I'm not son of Sam. I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't eat people. You know, those folk go to hell. Those are the people who deserve. And so we categorize folks. And we put people as the worst. And then there are those that are not so worst. Well, think about it. Do you ever compare yourself to Mother Teresa? Anybody? Anybody? Raise your hand. Compare yourself to Mother No. We always, when we want to feel better about ourselves, compare ourselves to the absolute worst human being we can find. And then we feel like, whoo, God's got to accept me. But we categorize one sin against another as being more evil or not. And definitely, they have different consequences on the planet. You murder somebody, you're going to really pay. You tell a lie, eh, not so much. But before God, the issue is not which sin is greater. James says, the issue is not whether you did this one or that one and offended God depending upon which one we consider worse. The issue is you broke his law. You offended him, not that you offended the law. And so whether you lied or whether you murdered before God, it's equally as punishable. Equally. And if you didn't think that was enough, we always consider the Old Testament God, the Old Testament God as being really, really difficult and tough and answering by fire from heaven. And <laughs> But the New Testament, Jesus is really nice, gentle and kind. But Jesus took the law to a brand new level. He said, you, you, you've heard it said, do not murder. Don't. But I tell you this, that if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. Oh, wait, 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 Before it was just based on action. Now you're just, now I'm declared guilty by my heart, my intent. My want to, I'm declared guilty? Yeah. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I tell you that if you lust after a woman, you've already done it. And, and what do we say about the God of the Old Testament? Jesus upped the ante. He said, I'm not waiting for you to commit the act to call you guilty. <laughs> so those of you who consider yourself righteous, the gong has just sounded. The gavel has just pounded on the bench. You are messed up, messed up and confirmed. Therefore, all of that to say you need a savior. Because you can't get yourself out of this one. No way. You can't be good enough. You can't think good enough. You can't act good enough. There's no way to make yourself righteous. Only Almighty God can help you. So Paul says, Church of Rome, all of you just need to have faith. And the way faith comes is by hearing. Now, remember, they did have the Old Testament. The entire church, I imagine, somebody had an Old Testament. The Gentiles could go ahead and read that. But the New Testament was being written. In fact, Paul was writing it. 
This is part of it. So I imagine if he were in our day, he may have said faith comes by hearing and reading the word of God because it would have been written in New Testament language. But it wasn't there yet. These letters were just being passed all over the place. So most of the ways that people got information about who God was was through preaching. And he said faith comes by hearing. This is how it's generated. Oh, this gospel is precious. And you need to be wherever you can be to hear it as often as you possibly can. My hope is that you continue to come here. Love having you. Don't want you to go anyplace else. But if we are not your cup of tea, find some place to hear the word of God. And I won't be offended. I realize I may not be your cup of tea. Sometimes I don't like me, but I got no choice. I got to follow me. You don't have to. If I'm not what you want, if we are not what you want, find some place. Put your roots down so you can hear the word consistently on a good basis so you can grow your faith to become something you're not yet. Faith comes by hearing. Now, I've spent the last 20 minutes talking about faith just to be saved. That's only about salvation. That's about getting rid of your former life and just walking in such a way and saying, I'm your boy, I'm your girl, now now what do I do? Your faith has to grow to where you, you can have an impact on this world, not just have faith to be saved. Mustard seed, sprout, sprout. Faith comes by hearing. You need to put yourself, need to put yourself in a position to be able to hear this word on a regular basis but it's not that you just need to put yourself in a position to hear it you need to position yourself in terms of hearing so you can hear it rightly because there are people who sit up in church and hear but don't hear they are here h-e-r-e but they don't h-e-a-r they're bodily present but it's like they got muffles on their ear they, you, you remember muffles? Those fuzzy things in wintertime. Yeah, we used to have those. You, you don't. Huh? That's what y'all call? I'll take that. Earmuffs. Earmuffs. On the ears. You got those things. <laughs> I said it wrong. Earmuffs. You got those things. And you put them on your ears, you can't hear anything. Worse yet, you got earbuds, got that one right, earbuds in your ears listening to the wrong thing. You have to position yourself so that your ear can hear right. Now let me give you some context in this passage. The preceding verse, verse 16, talks about a time in Isaiah's day where it says, they did not believe our report. Though we preached to them, they didn't believe our report. And then the very next verse is, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it almost seems a little inconsistent that in the prior verse he says, Isaiah preached, but nobody believed. And then he says, so faith comes from hearing. Well, if they heard when Isaiah preached and they didn't believe How does it work that faith comes from hearing? Because they heard and they didn't believe. But you got to understand how Paul communicates. Sometimes he communicates in double entendres and wordplay. And the, the, the emphasis on the word hearing here in verse 17 
is not on the, the, the normal ability for this ear to be able to pick up sound, the two on the side of your head. He's talking about this inner being, the system of hearing, that you need to calibrate your insides so that you can hear what needs to be said, i.e., let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, book of Revelation. Jesus said, let him, him who has ears to hear, hear what I'm saying. In other words, Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of his calling you. Layman's terms. I pray that you might understand deeply why you're on the planet. That your, your understanding would grow. But he, he, he calls it the eyes of your understanding. So he's not talking about the two that are in the front of your head. He's talking about something very different. Your, your second set of eyes that are able to see things that your natural eyes don't. So that you are not dependent on who you see in the mirror to define you. That you're actually looking at the mirror of scripture rather than the one in your bathroom. And you're saying, this is who I am. This is who I am, who God says I am. But you can only see that through the eyes of your understanding, not through your natural eyes. Well, just as there are understanding eyes and natural eyes, there's also an inner ear. There's not just the natural ears. There are those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying. And so I might be saying the same words, but people are hearing different things. Every one of you is finding different information in what I'm communicating. Some of you are falling asleep. <laughs> I ain't mad at you. I'd fall asleep on me sometimes too. I got that. But I am, I'm letting you know that we all hear according to the condition of our heart. And so if you don't condition your ears and your heart to hear well, all you will be doing is just listening with your natural ears that are not able to discern spiritual truth. Are you listening to me? Paul is saying that kind of hearing produces faith. The kind of hearing that hears from down here in your heart, not just from the side of your heads. And if you hear down here, oh, faith cannot help but come. You're always trying to say, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? How do I need to change my life? How do I respond to this circumstance? I don't know where you are, but I'm listening with my heart. Faith comes from that kind of hearing. The word is a koe in Greek. It literally means system of hearing. How's your system of hearing? Is it good? Every once in a while, you need to ask the Holy Spirit to turn up the hearing aids. Just turn them up a little bit. You intentionally put hearing aids on because you've got to be aided by the Spirit to hear right in order to hear what he's saying. Doesn't come just from... Because you, all of us have blockages. Things we don't want God to say. <laughs> uh, oh, don't talk about that, Lord. No, no, no. I don't want... I, no, she, he's too handsome. He's just too handsome. He got a job. He got a job, Lord. He got a job. And he's coming to church, Lord. He's coming to church. He ain't right yet, but he got a job. Don't talk about that. Pick the thing that you want God to stamp, put his approval on, that you know is just fudging outside of the boundaries. And you don't. You don't want him to speak about that. You're closing your ears because you've got your idea about what you want him to say. 
Faith won't come in that area. Faith won't come in that area. Not there. You won't hear what he has to say for you. That's why he's talking about the inner heart. It makes sense then that Isaiah says, there was a people who I spoke to that didn't believe. And then Paul says, so faith comes from a different kind of hearing. A different kind of hearing. Not just naturally, but down here. And everybody who's been a Christian long enough knows that it's not about just the noise that's coming through my, my eardrums. It's about what I hear the Spirit saying that produces something on the inside of me that causes me to respond in the affirmative to God. And that's faith. The faith that is produced by the hearing right. Jesus said in Luke 8, 18, it's important for us to be people that are careful about how we hear. Careful about how we hear. Not just that we hear, but how we hear. For to him who has will more be given. But he who does not have, even the little bit he has will be taken away from him. That hearing is a stewardship. That God has given you the privilege of being able to act, access information by hearing from the Spirit that used, that used to be just flying over your head. I mean, think about it for a minute. How many of you all read your Bible and you understand a lot of it? Raise your hand. That's not good. That's not good. Four of you? Four of you. Oh, God help. You need to come to church on all four services. <laughs> Let's say it this way so I can get a better response. I'm feeling really insecure as a productive pastor right now. How many of you understand your Bible better than you used to? Thank you. Gosh. How did that happen? You used to read your Bible and not get any of it. You used to read your, Do you remember those days? You'd open it up and say, okay, I'm supposed to, but I don't, I don't know what he's trying to communicate. And what has happened? You got around the environment more, and you're able to hear better. And all of a sudden, the passages that used to just roll by you, now you say, ooh, ooh, that's something. And faith begins to be inspired in your soul. Because you're, you're picking up something. You're hearing something from the Spirit. You've learned how to hear. You've learned how to hear. And your learning how to hear allows you to take the, 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 the amount you've been given and increase it. You getting me? Him who has will more be given. So if you develop the, the ability to hear with the right ear, you're also given the ability to hear more, better information about how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, how to be a good employee, how to be a good friend, how to be a good son, daughter. You get more information. But if you've not developed that ear to hear and you ignore what God has said, even the little bit that you do have gets taken away. Meaning somebody who's not interested in what I have to say this morning walks away, even though they had information, they had a little bit, but Wednesday it's gone. It's gone. They didn't have an ear to hear. And so they have no idea what I said. Now, I'm not being critical of anybody who came in this morning and, and came in with that attitude. Because I remember what that was like. Sitting in church, listening to a 40-minute sermon, walking out, having no idea what the man said. No clue. And not caring. Even the little bit that I did get sucked right out of my soul. 
And for 20 years, I walked like that until one day somebody captured my attention with a message like I'd never heard before. Indeed, the Holy Spirit has to inspire. He has to be the one to awaken the soul and and awaken the ears. But I heard like I'd never heard before. And once my ear was attuned to that sound, I become ruined for the world. All I want to do, let me hear what God's saying. Let me hear, let me hear, because that information is so valuable. And the more I hear, the more faith comes. So you have to learn how to hear and be careful how you hear. Also, the careful how you hear, when you walk in here, (laughs) you're accountable. You now have to do something with what you heard. That's why church is dangerous. It's just flat dangerous. To come in here, it's not just supposed to be a good feeling moment. You are now accountable for the truth that has been ministered to you. And you have to do something with it. I've, I've, I've gone over. With respect to hearing, i concentrated on that. Let's go to what we need to hear, the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How do we hear the word? Not the condition of our soul, but what circumstances allow us to understand God's voice, to know that we are listening to it? Number one, you, you broken record bread. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. Every day, read your Bible. Read your Bible every day. Read your Bible every day. Every way to emphasis, I will let... Never mind, you didn't get it. Every way to emphasize it, I will. Read your Bible. Because the only way to understand the voice of God is to know how he speaks. And he has spoken in his word. That's how you get to know his voice. And the beauty is the more you stay in that thing, the more you can understand him when all the other voices around you are screaming and hollering. The voice of your past, the voice of your circumstances, fear, the devil, your voice, your parents, your teachers, your coaches, everybody else who said you couldn't. When those voices are resounding in your soul over and again, echo after echo after echo, you are still able to discern the voice of Almighty God because you have recognized it time and again in that you've listened to it constantly by reading his word. How is a mama able to recognize her baby's voice in the nursery? It's always fascinating to me. Forty kids. Coughs, screams, hollers, all kind of strange sounds coming out of there. But as soon as mama hears hers out of 40, up, and you're sitting there, how did you know that was your baby? They all sound the same. 2 a.m., 4 a.m., all day long, hearing that baby. She knows the coo. She knows how her baby coughs different than every other baby. She knows the sound that her baby makes when he chews. And so in the midst of all the other children, she can pick out her baby's voice and run to that nursery knowing that she's needed. So you're able to discern the voice of God in the cacophony of sounds that constantly barrage your soul. But the only way to do it is to be like mama, who is with that sound, that baby, every day. 
every day. Read your Bible every day because those are his words. Secondly, be in the environment where the word is being preached. Here, someplace else, as I said earlier, small group, our classes that we have on Tuesday nights, men's Bible studies, women's Bible, be in the environment. And then lastly, talk to yourself about the word. When I was growing up, talking to yourself was seen to be uh, a little crazy. They'd want to help you out a little with some jackets that were very straight. But today, anybody can talk to themselves. It's okay. Everybody talks to themselves. The Hebrew concept, even though this is not what the word means for meditate, the Hebrew concept of meditation was, was likened to an animal that would chew the cud. Now, for those of you who are not biologically literate, chewing the cud is an animal like a deer or a cow or a sheep or a goat that would take the, the vegetation that it had masticated by chewing then drop it down into its stomach. Well, the animal had four compartments in its stomach. And that which was not fully digested or digestible at the time by chewing was then actually regurgitated, and the animal would chew it again. Now, I know you're about to go to lunch. I get that. I'm sorry. It's not a very pleasant way to talk about the word. But this is the way the Hebrew mindset thought. Meditation was actually speaking the word and bringing it back up again, that which had not been digestible enough for you to assimilate into the rest of your body so that it could become action. You began to chew it again until it became that, which dropped down into the fourth compartment of the stomach and became a part of your life. Are you listening to me? Now, the beauty is that God set up the human body to be focused. I realize how distracted you might be. But he set it up to be focused. There is no way for you to talk and to listen to somebody else at the same time. Impossible. As soon as you start listening to somebody else while you are speaking, you start mumbling. And your words go all over the place. You don't even know what you're talking about anymore. In fact, you start saying what they said. Try it. It's an amazing experiment. But you cannot talk and listen to somebody else at the same time. You can only do one or the other. Which means that when you talk, God intended you to listen to what you're saying. So why not begin to make the faith that is inspired by the hearing that which you begin to speak to your own ears? And you let this word begin to meditate on the inside of you by coming out of your mouth and filling your ears so that now you are inspired by the own, your own words of, of, that are coming out of your mouth and faith is beginning to be produced. Talk to yourself about this word. Our staff has to memorize scripture every week. And we're talking about big passages. We're in the Psalms right now. We've memorized 1 Peter, 2 Peter. We've done James. We do, we do, we've done this for, for a decade. Now we're in, Psalm, we're in Psalm 48 this week. You'll be ready. <laughs> Not yet, sir. Not yet. I'm going to be ready, though. Tuesday, they've got to have the passage. And they've got to bring it out of them. But what does it require? That they get in this word daily. Because you cannot memorize 15 verses in a day. It takes you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, one verse, two verses, three verses, four, and going over it constantly and speaking it out of your mouth. And then it, you know what happens when you do that? Your ear, and then all of a sudden you begin to understand how God moves because you understand how he moved in the life of that psalmist. Speak to yourself and faith begins to be developed. We're called to grow in faith, not just access faith for salvation. 
but grow in it. You are called to change the world. I don't know how. But you're called to change the world. And it might be just the part of the world that's in your world. And that's great. But nobody can change it like you can. In order to make that happen, you're going to have to be full of faith every day. Not just the faith to get you to heaven, but the faith to tell mountains to be moved, to see the sick healed, the dead raised, blind eyes open, marriages that are broken healed, relationships that are fractured put back together, hope to the hopeless. You're going to have to have that kind of faith. God wants you to believe for it every day, but it doesn't just come. It comes by hearing. Put yourself in a position to listen to this Bible and what God has to say about you. It will redefine you so that you, you can become what he has called you to become, so you can do what he's called you to do.